Blog Talk Radio.
Greetings, this is Abayomi Azikawe, and welcome back to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine, uh, brought to you here on a weekly And uh, this is uh, Abayomi Azikawe, and you're listening to the Pan-African Journal, a worldwide uh, radio broadcast. Uh, I am your host uh, for the program. And uh, we'd like to welcome uh, all of our listeners uh, back uh, to our program uh, for today. And, of course, uh, we are here uh, broadcasting live from our studios in uh, downtown Detroit. Today is... Uh, Saturday, uh, January 28th, uh, 2023. We'll feature our regular Pan-African Newswire report. Uh, We'll have the following dispatches. Uh, The program features our Pan-African Newswire report uh, with dispatches on the disbanding of a special police unit in Memphis after five former officers were indicted on murder charges. Uh, the military government in the West African state of Burkina Faso has ordered the withdrawal of all French military forces from the country. Mali has explained why it is moving closer to the Russian Federation in relation to security matters, and the North African state of Tunisia is preparing for another election amid concerns about voter turnout. In the second hour, we listened to the press conference in Memphis where charges were announced against five former police officers in the killing of 29-year-old Tyree Nichols. We then examined the recent developments in Burkina Faso where anti-French sentiments have reached unprecedented levels. Finally, we review the joint press conference between Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov and his South African counterpart, Dr. Nalidi Pandor, earlier this week, where the character relations between Pretoria and Moscow were discussed. These and other features will be brought to you uh, during the course of our program, so stay tuned. Uh, We're going to take our musical interlude uh, in the West African state of Mali, and uh, this is uh, music uh, from uh, the legendary uh, Malian uh, musician, uh, who is, of course, uh, Tumani uh, Giobati, and uh, we're going to listen uh, to his music uh, right now. And we'll be back after this segment of our program.
Welcome back. You're listening to the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast, and that was the music of the West African state of Mali from uh, Tumani Giobati uh, called the Ancient Strings. And right now we want to move into our Pan-African Newswire segment. These are some of the headlines in today's uh, Pan-African Newswire. 
The Memphis police chief uh, earlier today disbanded the city's so-called Scorpion unit, reversing an earlier statement that she would keep intact uh, and citing a cloud of dishonor from the officers who beat Tyree Nichols to death. Police Director Sirlin uh, C.J. Davis said she listened to Nichols' relatives, uh, community leaders, and uninvolved officers in making the decision. Referring to the heinous actions of a few that dishonored the unit, Davis said it was imperative that the department, quote, take proactive steps in the healing process, unquote. It is in the best interest of all to permanently deactivate the Scorpion unit, she said in a statement. She said the officers currently assigned to the unit agreed unreservedly with the step. And on other news uh, from uh, Memphis, of course, uh, five uh, African-American police officers were indicted uh, Friday, uh, January the 27th, uh, in the beating death of uh, Tyree Nichols. And, of course, the uh, fatal Memphis police beating, uh, which led to the death of 29-year-old black man Tyree Nichols, has not only further unstitched the already loose fabric of U.S. society, it weakens its internal cohesion and heralds culmination of the racial conflicts of the last two years as the 2024 presidential elections approaches uh, with racial problems doomed to be hyped uh, by rabble-rouser politician, politicians and said uh, Chinese observers. And this is from an article in today's uh, Global Times. U.S. society, the article continues, was on the edge of over, over a display of police violence caught on video as the city of Memphis released uh, yesterday evening body camera and surveillance footage of police officers kicking and punching the black man who later died. The man, uh, Tyree Nichols, ran after being pepper sprayed by officers but shows no sign of fighting back as the police beat him with a baton, according to the footage. And uh, we're going to have more additional information uh, on uh, the circumstances in Memphis surrounding the firing of the five uh, Scorpion unit police officers, the indictment uh, of the five police officers, and also uh, the disbanding of the Scorpion unit. In other news, uh, with anti-French feelings running high in many of its former colonies in West Africa, Paris is being forced to retreat even further from the increasingly unstable region and rethink its presence, according to various experts. After Mali forced French troops out uh, during 2021, neighboring Burkina Faso followed suit uh, just this last past week, asking Paris to empty its garrison in the next month. France was already drawing down its troops across the Sahel region, who just a few years ago numbered more than 5,000 backed up by fighter jets, helicopters, and infantry fighting vehicles. Around 3,000 French troops remain uh, in West Africa, but the forced departures from Mali and Burkina Faso, as well as the Central African Republic to the south uh, last year as well, underline how anti-French winds are gathering force. France is paying for its desire to maintain a very significant political and military presence in its former dominions, said Jean-Herve Kill, a reason specialist from the International Crisis Group. Uh, which focuses on conflict, uh, and, of course, uh, they do a lot of uh, writing on Africa, even though they are writing from a Western perspective. 
after the independence movement in the 1950s and 60s, Paris still intervened regularly in the domestic affairs of its former colonies and for decades retained sway through business and political ties under an unofficial policy known as Franca, Franca for me. And you're listening to the Pan-African Newswire segment of the Pan-African Journal. In Mali, foreign minister, uh, the Malian foreign minister defended the military government's cooperation with the Russian Federation on yesterday and rejected three options proposed by the United Nations Secretary General to reconfigure the United Nations peacekeeping force in the West African country where Islamic uh, extremist groups are, of course, uh, causing problems in the north and central parts of the country. Abdullahi Jope told the United Nations Security Council that security is the country's top priority and Mali will not continue to justify its partnership with Russia, which is providing training and equipment to the military. He did not mention Russia's Wagner Group, the private military contractor with ties to the Kremlin. But the Secretary General Antonio Guterres' internal review released this week of the 17,500-strong UN mission known as MUNESMA noted that Mali's longstanding security partnership with France and others deteriorated over concerns about Wagner's group personnel operating in support of the Malian armed forces, which he said Russian officials have publicly acknowledged. And finally, uh, in the North African state, of Tunisia. Tunisia uh, was uh, one of the countries uh, that underwent turmoil some 12 years ago. Today, it is in the midst of an election that uh, the Electoral Commission uh, is concerned about the turnout. Uh, barely 11% of voters turned out in the first round of parliamentary elections, which were held last month. They were boycotted by opposition uh, parties, and uh, it was also ignored by many Tunisians who are disillusioned with the political culture inside the country. Ten candidates secured seats in the North African country's legislature, even though not a single voter cast a ballot for them, simply because they ran unopposed. In seven constituencies, no candidates even bothered to run. Uh, President Kais Saeed is pinning his hopes uh, on um, tomorrow's second round of voting, which will wrap up his sweeping redesign of Tunisian politics that began when he suspended the previous parliament in 2021. With that, we're going to conclude uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment of the Pan-African Journal. And in concluding this segment of our program, we want to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic press service. It is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency was founded in January of 1998 and, and has since then published tens of thousands of articles and dispatches in numerous newspapers, uh, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. If you'd like to log on to the Pan-African Newswire so you can stay abreast, of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day, just go to our website, panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. And if you'd like to have access to today's uh, Pan-African Journal, this worldwide uh, radio broadcast uh, for Saturday, January 28, 2023, 
just go to our website at the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more of our program for this week. Just on yesterday, uh, five uh, police officers from the notorious Scorpion Unit in Memphis, uh, Tennessee, were indicted on second-degree murder charges, kidnapping, aggravated assault, and other charges. Uh, The press conference uh, announcing the charges was held uh, yesterday at the uh, City Hall in Memphis. They were announced uh, by the district attorney, uh, Steve um, McGroy. Let's listen uh, to the press conference uh, where uh, the charges against the Memphis police officers and the beating death of Tyree Nichols were announced on yesterday. This is a CBS News special report. I'm Nora O'Donnell. We are coming on the air as the city of Memphis and the country is on edge after the violent arrest that led to the death of 29-year-old Tyree Nichols. 
Just today, the five now former Memphis officers involved were charged with second-degree murder, kidnapping, and other charges. As you can see, we are waiting to hear from the Shelby County, Tennessee District Attorney. He's going to give an update on the investigation. There is video of the traffic stop and is expected to be released relatively soon. We're just learning that. Also, the Nichols family has seen that footage. Uh, the DA is saying today there are multiple sources of video from Nichols' first and second encounter with police. It is approximately an hour in length. Let's listen in now to that press conference. As you know, on January 7th, on January 7th there was an encounter between 29-year-old Tyree Nichols and former MPD officers. Immediately upon learning about this, um, DA Mulroy, Shelby County District Attorney DA Mulroy, um, enlisted the assistance of the TBI to determine if um, excessive force had been used. And since then, the DA's office has worked with TBI and we will continue to do so. Today, you will hear from DA Mulroy along with um, the director uh, of TBI, David Rouse. And so I want to just make it very clear and ask for your understanding that this is still an ongoing investigation. And so for that reason, there are limits to some of the things and some of the questions that we can answer. So we ask for your understanding as it relates to that. And um, I will turn it over to DA Mulroy. Um, and did I mention that we will take questions after, but they will, we, we have a really limited amount of time. So thank you. Thank you, Erica. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for coming. I'm joined today, as Ms. Williams has already said, with the director of the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, David Rausch, as well as assistant director Josh Melton. I'm also joined with, uh, by other members of my staff, um, including Ernest Brooks, uh, Ray Lapone, Gerald Skagen, but then also most relevant for today, the trial team in the Tyree Nichols case, including Paul Hagerman and Tanisha Johnson. Another member of the trial team, Melanie Headley, is unavailable. We're here today because of a tragedy that wounds one family deeply, but also hurts us all, the death of Tyree Nichols. We understand and acknowledge the grief that the friends and family of Tyree Nichols are experiencing right now, as well as the great concern throughout all of Memphis and Shelby County about this case. We met several times this week with the family of Tyree Nichols. They described an almost perfect son, a cheerful and happy person who enjoyed skateboarding and sunsets over Shelby Farms Park. We're grateful to the family of Tyree Nichols for their patience as we expedited both the investigation and the consideration of charges in this case, as well as the understanding on the part of the family that premature release of the video could compromise both. And we did work quickly to expedite this investigation because of the extraordinary nature of the case. Compared to the average investigation and prosecution uh, decisions in a case like this, we worked swiftly but also fairly and most importantly in a way calculated to ensure that we have a strong case. As you might have heard from Ms. Williams, in this case and any other officer-involved fatality case, I immediately called in the TBI so that we could have an independent investigation. I also assigned 
to the newly created Justice Review Unit within my office, which works independently and separately both from law enforcement and the rest of my staff to make a truly objective recommendation about whether criminal charges were appropriate. I want to thank the TBI, the Justice Review Unit, and the trial team for working swiftly but thoroughly under very difficult conditions. Earlier today, the grand jury returned indictments against five former Memphis Police Department officers regarding the death of Tyree Nichols. These are the same five officers who were previously or recently terminated by the Memphis Police Department. They are currently in custody. They are Tadarius Bean, Demetrius Haley, Emmett Martin III, Desmond Mills Jr., and Justin Smith. The grand jury returned indictments against all five with the same charges. And we had previously met with the family of Tyree Nichols to go over what these charges were going to be. And that meeting with the family, I think, went rather well. Here are the charges. Second degree murder, aggravated assault, aggravated kidnapping resulting in bodily injury, aggravated kidnapping involving the possession of a weapon, official misconduct through unauthorized exercise of power, official misconduct through failure to act when there is a duty imposed by law, and official oppression. While each of the five individuals played a different role in the incident in question, the actions of all of them resulted in the death of Tyree Nichols, and they are all responsible. It's important to note, as Ms. Williams said, that this is still an ongoing investigation, and therefore there are limits on what we can say about this case. We ask for everyone's continued patience as we continue to vigorously seek justice in this case. We also know that the public is very concerned about whether they can see the video about this incident and the timing of the release of this, uh, the video of, these, of this incident. I have been in regular contact with the city of Memphis, the custodian of that record, and I can tell you that the city will be releasing the video sometime after 6 p.m. Friday, tomorrow, and that the city of Memphis should be making a statement somewhat later on this afternoon regarding the timing of that release. Let me close by saying both to the family of Tyree Nichols and to the broader community here in Memphis and Shelby County, we all want the same thing. We want justice for Tyree Nichols. It's my hope that if there is any silver lining to be drawn from this very dark cloud, it's that perhaps this incident can open a broader conversation about the need for police reform. The world is watching us and we need to show the world what lessons we can learn from this tragedy. I'm hopeful that we can show them who I know us to be, a community working towards positive change here in Memphis and Shelby County. With that, let me ask Director Roush to step forward. Thank you, D.A. Moore. Good afternoon. I'm David Roush, Director of the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation. First and 
foremost and most importantly, on behalf of the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, I want to extend my deepest condolences to the family and friends of Tyree Nichols. My prayer is that God will wrap his comforting arms around you and keep you during this very difficult time. We can't imagine the pain you're experiencing. But let me reaffirm, we are here to, uh, to pursue truth and justice, realizing that we should not be here. Simply put, this shouldn't have happened. I've been policing for more than 30 years. I've devoted my life to this profession, and I'm grieved. Frankly, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm sickened by what I saw. And what we've learned through our extensive and thorough investigation. I've seen the video, and as DA Morley stated, you will too. In a word, it's absolutely appalling. Let me be clear. What happened here does not at all reflect proper policing. This was wrong. This was criminal. The depth and breadth of the charges announced today speaks to the deliberate and thorough investigation that this case has received. And our work is not finished. We continue to pursue every lead. Justice demands it. And our agency exists so that guilt shall not escape, nor innocence suffer. To that end, I want to publicly thank our agents, our forensic scientists, our support staff, and our entire team around this state. They work diligently to expedite this case. We've worked as hard as we could and as quickly as we could to provide a thorough, independent, unbiased investigative record to allow D.A. Mulroy and his team to make the most informed decision they could regarding these charges. I also want to thank the Memphis Police Department and the city leaders for their cooperation in this case, which I want to stress is ongoing at this time. Thank you. I'll we'll take a few questions. And then, and Whitland, let's make sure that one at a time. One and then yes. two. Okay. okay. Nothing we do today or did today precludes the addition of any further charges regarding any of the people that you mentioned. Um, we're still actively reviewing everything. Okay. Yes. Sir, thank you. Shimon Progress, Christina. We have not heard from the police chief uh, generally a description of what occurred uh, in the initial stop, any kind of a timeline of what exactly occurred on that day. So I'm hoping perhaps you or the director there can explain to us, just give us a, you know, as much as possible a timeline of the event. He was stopped, was this a legal stop? Why would he stop? And then sort of continue to explain perhaps what happened in, in the moment after that, as much as possible. Right. I don't want to go into too much detail, um, and I suspect that all of your answers along those lines will you know, be forthcoming once you have a chance to view the video for yourself. 
Um, I know that uh, it's already, a lot of this has already been uh, publicly released, but it, there was an initial traffic stop. We won't comment right now on the presence or absence of the legality of the stop, but there was a traffic stop. And there was an initial altercation uh, involving several officers and Mr. Nichols. Um, pepper spray was deployed. Uh, the uh, suspect, uh, not the suspect, Mr. Nichols, uh, fled on foot. There was another altercation uh, at a nearby location at which the, the, the serious injuries uh, were experienced by Mr. Nichols. After some period of time of um, waiting around afterwards, he was taken away by an ambulance. Beyond that, I don't really think I, we should go into any further details. So there was a delay in a call, the police delayed calling the ambulance for there was a, There was an elapsed period of time, but I believe that if you watch the video, you'll be able to make that judgment for yourself. Eric, do you want to? I'm trying to give everyone a chance. Is there a reason the police is it known if Tyree Nichols had previously known these former officers? We have, we have no information to uh, disclose about that at this time. I don't know why Ch uh, Chief Davis isn't here. Uh, anything else? Dean can yes. you explain, is it just body camera videos, is it dash cam videos, surveillance, what, what kind of videos? Well, the actual release will be up to the city of Memphis. My, my understanding is that it will be a combination of pole cam video, sky cop video, and body cam video. We'll take one more question. One more question. There will be a review of specialized units within the Memphis Police Department. Two questions. First, were these officers member of the organized crime unit? And second, will your office be involved in that investigation? Well, so I've read in the newspaper that Chief Davis has announced a review of those uh, specialized units. I think that's a good idea. I commend Chief Davis for doing that. I think Chief Davis is uh, committed to, you know, uh, trying to do whatever uh, she can to learn lessons from this incident. I don't uh, contemplate that our office would be involved in that uh, review. Um, I think that's. Were they about members of the organized crime unit? Scorpion. So I think it's already been reported publicly uh, that that Scorpion unit was involved. Is that, is that it? Okay. I'm being told that's it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. To explain it? Yes, sir. Well, we just heard from. I don't think at all. Hold on just a moment. Let's listen back in. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, all right. So, um, kidnapping is any uh, unlawful confinement uh, of another, uh, which substantially restrains someone's liberty. At a certain point in the sequence of events, it is our view that this, if it was a legal detention to begin with, it certainly became illegal at a certain point, and it was an unlawful detention. The aggravated nature of the charge is because if that kidnapping resulted in bodily injury, that's one grounds for saying that it is aggravated kidnapping. If the persons involved in that unlawful restraint of liberty possessed weapons, that is another ground for saying that the kidnapping was uh, aggravated. Do you want me to explain the other charges as well? Or? Okay. All right, um, so uh, official misconduct is when any public official acting uh, part of their official duties um, intentionally or uh, knowingly acts in a way, uh, exercises authority that is unauthorized by law. Right? So that's an affirmative statement, an affirmative act of official misconduct. At the same time, law enforcement officials who are on duty are also under an affirmative duty to prevent official misconduct. 
um, and to uh, accurately uh, report information to any medical uh, facil uh, personnel that show up. And through inaction, when there is a duty imposed by law, that could also be a separate ground for charging official misconduct. Um, official oppression is a related statute. Uh, it's not exactly the same. There is some overlap, but it's not perfect overlap. But it is uh, basically some sort of, uh, by an official, knowing mistreatment um, in the course of uh, carrying out their official duties. Um, aggravated assault, I think, is uh, fairly obvious. And uh, under the laws of Tennessee, second-degree murder is a knowing killing. Thank you. Well, we have just learned that five former Memphis police officers today indicted, arrested, and charged with second-degree murder and a number of other charges that you just heard. They are members of the Scorpion Unit, which was put together to fight violent crime on the street. We heard from the director of the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, David Rausch, that they are there to pursue truth and justice, and that he was shocked and sickened by what he saw on these multiple videos that are expected to be released Friday at 6 p.m. The police chief in Memphis saying just last night that she expects that the community will feel outrage. They are bracing for protests. Make no doubt about it. Let's bring in our senior investigative correspondent, Catherine Herridge. And Catherine, uh, these are serious charges. Yes. Also heard them lay out that they were all charged with the same crimes, all five of them. And in the words of one of the officials, their actions of all of them resulted in the death of Tyree Nichols. That's right. And on top of that, we have an overlay, Nora, which is the launching of a federal civil rights investigation by the Justice Department, as well as the FBI. They haven't told us what charges are under consideration, but the most similar or analogous case would be that of George Floyd and the officer Derek Chauvin. He pleaded guilty to violating George Floyd's constitutional rights, and that included the right to be free of excessive use of force by police officers, as well as that constitutional right to due process. Stand by because Elise Preston has been covering this case, has been there all week and just came out of that press conference. And Elise, uh, very significant. Talk about that concern. Why did they choose Friday night at 6 p.m. to release this video, which we're told is about an hour in length, multiple different cameras, and is expected to provoke protests? Well, so we just heard from District Attorney uh, Steve Mulroy, and he said that, one, with the video, the Memphis Police Department, they are the custodian of that video. So the video will be released by the police department by the city. We do know that uh, this video, they are still kind of working through investigations, right? We do know that with um, the officers being charged, that they have enough to go on right now to charge them with that. But the DA has been concerned pretty much all week that they are waiting uh, to make sure that the case is completely tight before uh, they move forward. So that is a concern. Another concern is uh, just safety. I spoke to a city council chief uh, chair yesterday, Nora, and he said, I asked him, what is it like here in Memphis two weeks after Tyree Nichols uh, has died? And he said that it is like putting your hands on a combustible can and waiting for it to release. You know that you're going to have to release your hands, so you're just kind of 
waiting to see what you can kind of get together before you do release that. So I think right now, city officials, city leaders, they are just bracing people for what is to come. You mentioned that video statement placed on Twitter last night about 10.30 here local time from the chief. And she told people that you are going to see things that are troubling. She called uh, that video inhumane. She said that it was heinous. And so I think they right now are just trying to prepare the, the public, both here in Memphis and across the country, Nora. Yeah, I mean, some dire warnings ahead of this uh, video release. Um, we are learned today that these five former officers were part of a Scorpion unit, as it is called, a group of some 50 officers that was put together to fight violent street crime. Uh, the other thing that the district attorney, Steve Mulroy, saying today was that he met with the Nichols family before these charges were announced second-degree murder, aggravated assault, aggravated kidnapping with a weapon. And he says that the family seemed good with these charges. I know you've spoken with the family. What have they said? So we have not been able to speak with the family uh, just yet. Uh, we are waiting to speak with them in a few moments. But I can tell you that the, the family said that they were uh, waiting for these charges to come, that that would be justice for them. But the, the fight is not over. They want to see a conviction here. I can tell you, Nora, I spoke with the mother, and she is just, as you can imagine, shaken. When we were walking to our interview, she grabbed my hand. She was shaking. She was weak. She said, I'm tired, but I have to keep going because I have to get justice for my son. Tyree Nichols was the youngest of her four kids, and so she is devastated, as you can imagine. Uh, Nora, I'd like to go back, though, to uh, D.A. Mulroy, right, because I just want to paint a little background on him contextually. He is a new D.A. here in Shelby County. He has been in office for about five months, and one of his campaign promises was a justice review unit. Mulroy is a former federal civil rights attorney. He was a Shelby County commissioner here in the area, and he has been very vocal for years about police reform and police misconduct. So with this justice review unit that he had campaigned on, part of their responsibility was to independently investigate police misconduct charges, Nora. So he is following through on that. Elise Preston, thank you. You have been doing incredible reporting on the ground there in Memphis. Let's bring in Ricky Kleeman, our CBS News legal analyst. Ricky, walk us through these very serious charges. Serious indeed, Nora. I think it's very important to start with the fact that reason for second-degree murder rather than first-degree murder, because people will be saying, well, why isn't it first-degree murder? First-degree murder has premeditation, whereas second-degree murder is intentional. And what you have here is the underlying factor of this aggravated assault that continued to continue. And under Tennessee law, that is the written law as well as case law, what we wind up with is the intent to inflict serious bodily injury from the aggravated assault. If it looks like what we expect this video to look like from every description we have been given, that it really does become intentional conduct. And if they are convicted of second-degree murder, you're dealing with a Class A felony that has a punishment of 15 to 60 years. Serious, indeed. 
that's really the lifetime of any of these pleas if it goes toward the maximum. And what about many people have been asking about that specific charge of aggravated kidnapping with a weapon? Explain that. Well, it's highly unusual because, of course, we think of police officers who detain a suspect, whether they are acting lawfully or unlawfully in the case of a beating, as is alleged here, that that would not become criminal conduct, let alone a kidnapping, which is a false imprisonment, it's a detention. But as the district attorney just explained, he felt, or the grand jury felt, which is more accurate, that what had happened here was even if the original detention were lawful, that eventually the conduct made it unlawful. And when you have this kind of serious bodily injury, in addition to the deadly weapon, because of course the police officers are armed, the grand jury felt that aggravated kidnapping was appropriate. Class B felony, long imprisonment, eight to 30 years. All right, Ricky Kleeman, thank you for joining us. Just should note, too, this just in a White House official saying the President of the United States has also been briefed on this Tyree Nichols case. There could be a statement coming shortly from the President as well. Concern about what happens on Friday night, 6 p.m. Central Time, when this approximately, we're told, hour-long video is released that includes not only body cam video from these police officers, but apparently some stationary video as well that is expected, in the words of the police chief there, expected to provoke outrage. Our coverage will continue on CBS News streaming your local news, and we will have a full wrap-up tonight on the CBS Evening News. This has been a CBS News special report. I'm Nora O'Donnell in Washington. Welcome back. <clears throat> and that was uh, the press conference where the indictments uh, were announced uh, in Memphis, Tennessee uh, yesterday, and uh, the video, an hour-long video, which was a compilation of uh, two body cam videos and a, uh, another uh, video camera that was hoisted on a pole uh, right uh, looking down on where the actual uh, blows were being leveled against uh, Tyree Nichols. Uh, it was released at 6 p.m. Uh, Central Time, uh, which was 7 p.m. Eastern Time in the United States. And, of course, um, it has uh, prompted uh, outrage and mass demonstrations across the country. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more of the Pan-African Journal for this week.
This time, Burkina Faso. So what's behind the growing anger behind the former colonial power? And what does it mean for the fight against armed groups in West Africa? This is Inside Story. Welcome to the program. I'm Adrian Finnegan. Burkina Faso's military government has given French troops one month to leave the country. That's according to state media. French forces are in the West African nation as part of a campaign to drive out fighters linked to ISIL and Al-Qaeda. The UN estimates that thousands of people have been killed since 2015 and nearly three million displaced by violence that's been blamed on armed groups. Demonstrations against the French soldiers' presence have been held in the capital, Ouagadougou. Barbara Angopa reports. Protesters in Burkina Faso have been demanding France withdraw its troops from their country. They say the former colonial power has failed to protect them from armed groups. If France was our partner, it was supposed to help us fight against terrorism. But since 2016, there has been no change. We think France doesn't deserve Burkina Faso's trust. Now its military rulers have reportedly suspended the 2018 security accord with Paris. They want French troops to leave within a month. France has been decreasing its deployments across the Sahel region and officially ended its Operation Bakane last year. 
At its height, more than 5,000 French troops were stationed in the region to fight groups allied to Al-Qaeda and ISIL. 400 French troops remain in Burkina Faso. Mali, another former colony, ordered French troops out last year. Some analysts say Burkina Faso is blaming France for its own failure to deal with an insurgency which led to two military coups last year. France is the scapegoat for all that. The, the French military presence has not prevented the progress of jihadist forces. So there's resentment in the population as there was in Mali, where even some, some demonstrators were complaining that France will be, maybe was a complice of some of these uh, jihadist groups. Ghana's president has accused Burkina Faso of hiring the private Russian army Wagner Group to crush armed fighters in the Sahel region. Mali hired the mercenaries last year. The US, UN and others accused the group of committing widespread human rights abuses. The problem of course cannot be blamed on France in, 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 in any way, but, but what, uh, what the government are saying is they want the ability to choose their preferred security partner. Violence in the West African nation has killed thousands of people and left two million people displaced. These demonstrators are demanding French forces go, but it's not clear how the military plans to reclaim 40% of the country outside its control. Barbara Ngopa, Al Jazeera. Well, let's discuss all of this with our guests for today's uh, program. We're joined from Ankara by Avigwe Aguegu, who you saw in Barbara's report. He's a policy analyst for uh, Development Reimagined, an Africa policy consultancy. From Paris, we're joined by Niagale Bagayoko, chair of uh, the African Security Sector Network and African Affairs Think Tank. And from London, Alex Vines, director of At the Africa program at Chatham House. Welcome uh, to you all. Uh, let's start with you, uh, Ovigwe. What's gone wrong in Burkina Faso's relationship with France, and to what extent does it mirror what's happened in Mali? Yeah, I think one of the uh, most important factors to, to recognize with, with regards to the relationship with uh, France and former uh, colonial, colonial countries or countries with most colonial like, like Mali, Burkina Faso, and CAR is the fact that uh, there is really serious divergence in terms of approaches to addressing the immediate issue, which is security. And to a large extent, that has played out in all of the countries where we've seen, you know, uh, troops, uh, French troops withdraw from car. We saw that in December last year, uh, earlier in the uh, last year. What do you mean by serious divergence? Well, you, you only have to look at uh, the fact that there have been coups in this country, and of course we know uh, France and Western partners have very, are very much strongly condemned these coups, and also because uh, when you even look at the coups, uh, the immediate security policy or as it, uh, approach is to align with, with, it, with a different uh, player, preferred partner, which is, which is Russia. So, of course, in the, in the context of the Ukraine war and serious, uh, you know, uh, grievances between the West and Russia, it is very much uh, unthinkable to expect that France would want to collaborate with a government that employs the services of, of uh, Russian mercenaries or even work directly with, with, this, with this government of Russia. Okay. Niagali, um, is Burkina Faso blaming France for its own failures uh, uh, in ridding the country of these armed groups? 
Uh, I definitely think that there is a need to have an historical stance on the current situation. Uh, in fact, uh, in Burkina Faso, there is a tradition of protection of sovereignty, which is coming from the late leader, uh, Thomas Sankara, uh, and uh, even uh, the um, president, which was overthrown last year, uh, Rochmar Christian Caboret, was very reluctant to any presence significant on the ground of, of Burkina Faso. Uh, it's important to know also that uh, the Operation Sabre, which is made of special forces from France, uh, has been active much more outside of Burkina Faso rather than on the Burkina Bay soil. Uh, and uh, what is happening today uh, is that uh, there has been a growing tendency of civil society organizations on the streets, uh, as well as of public opinion at large, to be very critical towards the French African policy. Uh, but, it is okay. uh, a consequence of what wh happened wh in Mali, yeah. but it is important not to consider only yeah. that uh, it is uh, what is happening today is only the aftermath okay. of the, uh, the Russian presence uh, in Burkina. Nicola, why, why the dissatisfaction with the presence of, of French troops then uh, among uh, civil society, those in civil society? I mean, uh, there's, there's been an accusation that, that France has been uh, complicit with those that it's meant to be to be fighting. I mean, how much credence do you give to those allegations? Absolutely. In fact, what happened is that the big Operation Barkhane, which was meant to fight terrorism and in fact to neutralize it, has been completely failing from this prospect. And it's been a lot of surprise uh, in the eyes of the African public opinion. And I definitely cannot understand the reason why such a modern and a technological army with lots of uh, uh, armament to deploy has been absolutely unable to cope with uh, jihadi insurgencies. And what happened is that there has been a growing uh, uh, trouble in the public opinion and also lots of plot theories mm. present in France as having itself critiqued uh, terrorism uh, in, uh, in uh, Western Africa and uh, as uh, feeding it rather than fighting it. And this kind of, uh, of uh, plot theories have uh, met a lot of success uh, among uh, uh, civil society, so-called pan-Africanic organizations, as well as more broadly in the population at large. All right. Uh, let's, let's pick up on the point you were making there and, and put it to, to Alex Bynes uh, in London. Alex, was, was France up to doing the job in the first place? I mean, given the, the, the limited number of troops that it put on the ground, it's not the US, it, it, but it doesn't have the resources to deploy, to deploy thousands and, and thousands of, uh, of troops. So the context is that uh, throughout Francophone West Africa and particularly the Sahel, there has been growing ambivalence amongst the populations about the relationship with France. This is nothing new. I saw it 20 years ago when I was working even in Côte d'Ivoire, Ivory Coast uh, for the United Nations. Uh, the, 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 the insecurity there was partly a response to the idea of France-Afrique neocolonialism, that France was too entwined uh, into the politics and the economies of those countries. So, so that's the context of what France has been dealing with. 
the French intervention initially in, in, in Mali, Operation Saval, was, was actually supported by Africans and relatively successful. But you're absolutely right that the Bakan operation that took place subsequently uh, did not deliver the security that, that Malians and, uh, and others around across the region were hoping for. And I think that's the key to what's just happened in Burkina with, with the, the Burkina authorities, uh, the junta there saying that the French special forces have a month to leave because, in fact, they haven't improved security. Security is deteriorating. Uh, the big question, though, is what will replace it? Because I'm not sure anybody else can provide security either to, 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 to turn the situation that is really deteriorated. But, but this, this was a, a region, uh, Alex, that, that France once dominated. As you said, it's been, it's been gradually losing influence in recent years. I mean, why, why is that? How will, will Paris deal with that in, in the long term? Is it just going to turn its back on the region, do you think? No, I mean, President Macron last year announced a reconfiguration of the French uh, security posture in, in West Africa. So it's a lot more focused on the coastal states, countries like uh, Côte d'Ivoire, Ivory Coast. Uh, it, it assumes a continued presence in Niger, uh, and it looks at how it can complement other initiatives that are developing, that are driven by, by, by African nations themselves, so, so originally that, that was something called G5 Sahel, but that hasn't been working very well and includes um, both Mali and Burkina Faso, but also something now called the Prior Initiative, which also includes Burkina. And so that's what I think France is now looking at, um, of how it can multilateralize through African partners in these initiatives to, to, to provide security. What is very clear is that uh, uh, the coastal states themselves are very worried about contagion into their own territories of, of, of jihadist groups affiliated either to Al-Qaeda or ISIL. And of course, there have been attacks now in, play, in, in, in the north of Togo, in the north of Benin. Uh, the, the Ghanaians are very worried about contagion from Burkina Faso. Okay, let, let's pick up on that point and, and, and put it to Ovigwe. What, what does the removal of French troops from Burkina Faso mean for the security situation right across the region, given that they've already gone from Mali too? Of course, uh, there's an immediate impact in, in the sense that, uh, to a large extent, the Burkina Faso, uh, Burkina Faso military and even militaries in, in Niger, uh, not Niger, sorry, in uh, Mali, would then have to step up. But I mean, let's be serious. The, 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 these armies do not have the capacity, neither do they have, you know, even the the, comp the competence or, or the capabilities actually deal with these problems. It doesn't mean that they cannot build such capacities, but and from from the immediate, immediate onset, I think they are going to face a lot of problems and. Also, bear in mind that it's not just the 5,000 uh, troops that the French had there. There were over 15,000 uh, uh, UN peacekeeping forces that were uh, working in the Sahel, supporting all of these countries, uh, part of uh, MINUSMA, right? And MINUSMA in, in, in of itself has not been able to even deliver on, on, on the objectives of, of its mandate. So I think that there's a real problem. If you look, if you add the 5,000 operations in uh, Bakan to over 16,000, that is over uh, uh, 20,000 20, um, forces, and you cannot, I mean, the Malian army is about 21,000, for instance, right? So it is a huge in, uh, loss, but uh, that is why it is really important to stress that the new security partnerships that are forming with Russia 
is just not going to address these problems because Russia cannot provide neither the scale of you know, uh, military support that is needed. Burkina Faso currently is not in control of 40% of its territory. That is just one country. And I, do not see, I don't see how it is possible for uh, military contractors to be able to work with, the, with, the, with an army that is poorly equipped, uh, that, that is, that of course, not well-trained, to be able to recover these territories in a short period, in, 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 within the period of time of the urgency that this, uh, this uh, juntas are, are proposing. So I think it's going to be very, very challenging, and they have to be very, very careful because even the security partnership come with real costs, you know, diplomatic costs and financial costs, and that, that is why there needs to be more thinking with regards to the choices of this partnership. Uh, Nigale, how much of a humiliation is this for France? Will the withdrawal of French troops from both Burkina Faso and uh, Mali strengthen the armed groups operating in the region? Will it create, as, as Ivory Coast's president has said, a security vacuum in the region? Uh, I think that, uh, as uh, just uh, explained by my colleague, we cannot consider that France has made any difference on the ground, nor uh, any other international partner, and uh, it is also the case of uh, uh, Russian uh, private security company, Wagner, because we can see that, for instance, in Mali, uh, there have been attacks very close uh, to Bamako, only uh, 50 kilometers from, from the, the capital. Uh, so I'm not sure that it is from an operational point of view that there will be a lot of consequences with the French retreat from Burkina Faso, where we have to remember that the special forces were only around 400 people. So I think what is very important today is to realize that there is a need to develop a very different approach to these questions, uh, including uh, in terms of uh, political uh, perspective to what is happening in the whole Sahel. And it is a fact, an approach which has been developed presently by Niger, which is both working with French troops, uh, having very close relations with uh, Russia and uh, Turkey in terms of uh, armament, but is also trying to develop dialogues with the terrorist groups, uh, including the Islamic states and uh, groups related to uh, Al-Qaeda itself. Okay. Let's turn our attention to the presence of, of Russian mercenaries on the ground uh, in the region. Alex, I'm going to throw a, a bunch of questions at you here. Uh, who's paying them and why? What's their mandate? What, what's their legal status? And are they any better at bringing peace and security to the region than, than the French? Well, the, 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 the Russian mercenaries, Wagner, have been invited in. They were invited in by, by the Malians. Uh, they um, are remunerated, uh, allegedly, uh, through, through access to, to, to mineral resources. That, that is also the allegation that the president of uh, Ghana, Nano Kufuadu, has made about uh, the involvement of Wagner, if, if it is confirmed in, in Burkina Faso, and we've seen that elsewhere. Um, they are um, increasingly, it looks as if Wagner is being recognized as an auxiliary force for the Russian Federation. The majority of Wagner is uh, obviously deployed now in, in, in uh, occupied territories of, of, of Ukraine, fighting the Ukrainians. Um, 
but there are there is presence in Africa. The track record of Wagner in Africa hasn't been spectacular by any means. They, they uh, abysmally failed in trying to provide security along the East African coast in the province of Cabo Delgado in, in late 2019. They have provided a Praetorian guard situation of security for the uh, for the for, for for the presidency in, in the Central African Republic. Uh, and as both your other speakers have alluded to, they haven't provided improved security uh, in, in, in Mali, and I'm very doubtful that they're going to be able to do that also in Burkina Faso. In fact, I think what we'll see is further fragmentation in both Mali and in, in Burkina Faso of the military juntas, uh, because at the end of the day, the drivers here are about improved security. Um, it's clear to me, uh, as your previous speaker said, that the solution here isn't private military companies, but it is about finding dialogue and finding internal settlements. Uh, what you have here basically are regimes based around capital cities, uh, which have increasingly got disenfranchised with the rest of their countries, and they're like the big problem that, that Mali and uh, Burkina Faso increasingly have illegitimized uh, administrations okay. that, that, that are just in control of the capital cities and are having great difficulty in providing security beyond them. Uh, a big way, why is Russia currently seen as a better partner, uh, partner in the region uh, than France? What, what's in it for Russia? What's, what's its strategy in the region? Well, I think uh, Russia definitely uh, is applying private military diplomacy in, in, in its bid to build relationship with, you know, with African countries. You have to also look at its current adventures in Africa in the context of uh, its own global standing, right? And we know, of course, that Russia is trying to boost its image and trying to reconnect and, and, and build allies or at least have some form of uh, partnerships to show that it is not isolated. So, of course, this is, this is part of uh, its effort and uh, why... Its geostrategy has changed. Even as we speak right now, the Russian foreign minister is in South Africa, for instance, right? And that is the second, vis second visit in, in nine months. So it shows there's a lot of focus on, on the region, but specifically in this, the countries in question, uh, former uh, French colonies, I think it is clear that one of the reasons why these, go these juntas or governments, in the case of uh, CAR, prefer Russia is the fact that Russia can provide regime security. Okay. And that regime security has to be understood as a, a, very, a very small uh, uh, solution to a, to in, for in a very right. large problem because these countries don't have way more than regime security problems. They have national security issues that, that they need, need to address. And, and, that uh, yeah. is, uh, and, and there, therein lies the, 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 the nub, it really, isn't it, Megali, it, it, this regime security. I mean, inviting mercenaries in to provide security, that's, that's the UN's job, isn't it? I mean, what are the implications of all of this for the UN and its peacekeepers who are on the ground there? Uh, so, uh, I'm not sure that uh, the situation uh, we can uh, see uh, in the Central African Republic, where indeed Wagner's troops are protecting uh, the government, uh, is exactly the same in Mali. In Mali, uh, you cannot see um, troops or uh, contractors from uh, Wagner uh, in the capitals, are mainly deployed uh, in the central uh, part of the country, uh, around the Mopti uh, 
and uh, Dwanza uh, circles. Uh, so, uh, and uh, in uh, Burkina, as regards uh, the relations with uh, the UN uh, in uh, the Central African Republic, yes, it seems that there has been a kind of collaboration initially, but it is definitely not the case uh, in uh, in Mali. Uh, in Burkina Faso, you do not have any uh, UN uh, deployment, but what is happening in Mali, and which is also very likely to ha happen in Burkina Faso, is the role of self-defense militias, uh, which have been uh, uh, growing in terms of importance, and uh, we can see that uh, in Mali, in central Mali, Wagner troops together with the uh, Malian military are closely cooperating with those local militias. And one of the options which is presently developed by the military government in Burkina Faso is presently to okay. uh, support and uh, to uh, strengthen yeah. those kind of forces. So we could see a new kind of agreement between yeah. troops from Russia and those local militias. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry to, to, to cut you off. T time is against us here. I want to put one more question to Alex. And we haven't really talked about the groups operating on the ground, uh, uh, Alex. Why are these armed groups so focused right now on the Sahel region? And, and why isn't the U.S. in particular interested in chasing them out like it did in Iraq and Syria? So the U.S. has been involved in the Sahel, and it uh, trained up militaries uh, in the region, a number who have staged coups. Um, and so the, the U.S. Yeah, really but, thought, but it's not, uh, not, not to the extent that it has in, in Iraq and Syria, for instance. No, it, uh, not, not to that extent. It also has a footprint still in Niger. There is a drone facility there. But the, look, but the, the main point is that the United States uh, had hoped that it could sub subcontract the majority of responsibility for, 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 for chasing jihadist groups to, 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 to European partners, uh, seeing this as European air abroad. So that's France, but it's also other states like, like Spain, um, uh, Italy and others. Uh, and uh, Washington, I think, is disappointed that, that France is, is on the back foot. That is my understanding uh, of the way that Washington is looking at this. Uh, and they still provide intelligence to, to, to France and, and other Western partners. Okay. There we're going to have to end it. Many thanks indeed to uh, all of you, Avigwe Oguegu, Nirgale Bagayoko and Alex Vines. Uh, thanks for being with us here on Inside Story. As always, thank you for watching. Don't forget you can see the program again at any time by going to the website at altazero.com. For further discussion, join us at Facebook on facebook.com forward slash AJ Inside Story. And of course, the conversation will continue on Twitter. Our handle at AJ Inside Story. From me, Adrian Finnegan, and the team here in Doha, thanks for being with us. We'll see you again. Bye for now. Welcome back. And uh, that was a report from Inside Story on uh, the hostility uh, between uh, Burkina Faso and France, uh, the former colonial power in uh, Burkina Faso. And uh, we'll take a break. We'll be back with our concluding segment of the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast on this Saturday, uh, January 28th, uh, 2023. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. We'll be back. <laughs>
the voice of uh, Carla Thomas and uh, with the track entitled No Time to Lose. And uh, just this last past week, uh, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov visited the Republic of South Africa and uh, met with uh, Foreign Minister Dr. Nalidi Pandor and also uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa. There was a joint press conference uh, between the South African Foreign Minister Dr. Nalidi Pandor and uh, her counterpart, Sergei Lavrov. And we're going to listen to that uh, excerpt from it right now. To record the progress that uh, was evident on a range of issues relating to the relationship between South Africa and the Russian Federation. We as South Africa attach great importance to fostering and deepening our partnership through strengthening our structured bilateral mechanisms. And so it is in this regard that I look forward to co-hosting the 17th ITech session during the first quarter of this year. I look forward as well to the implementation of our commitments as discussed in our meeting and to us having a continued closer working relationship. I must say when we first met and I heard that growl, I didn't think we would become friends, but I believe we are friends now. Our goal is to work unrelentingly toward the upliftment of our respective nations and to do so through the instruments of foreign policy that we have at our disposal. I believe our shared goal is to witness a significant and greater increase in economic, social, cultural, people-to-people, and scientific interactions between our countries. We've had the opportunity to review the status of some of the currently outstanding agreements and have reiterated our commitments in areas where some work remains to be done. I must thank you most sincerely for the additional scholarships that you announced that would be made available to young South African uh, undergraduate students. I believe most importantly we should encourage our colleagues in other departments to be responsive to the issues that we have identified as important for advancing our bilateral cooperation. I look forward to welcoming you and your delegation back to South Africa in the not too distant future for our BRICS meetings. And I wish you continued good health and a safe return home and a longer stay in South Africa next time you visit. And now, Minister, hand back to you and thank you for this most wonderful meeting. Thank you very much. Distinguished ladies and gentlemen, at the outset, let me sincerely thank once again our South African friends, personally, South African President Ramaphosa and uh, Minister of International Relations and uh, International Cooperation, Nalidi Panda, for the hospitality extended to us. We have stated a progressive development of Russian-South African relations based on a solid historical foundation. We have welcomed the consolidation of contacts between different ministries and agencies, the expression of uh, interparliamentary and interparty exchanges, in particular, I'm talking 
about uh, our uh, party or Russia, the United Russia and uh, the African National Congress, we have agreed to intensify our work in a whole range of areas in order to uncover fully the broad potential of our ties, especially in the area of economics. We have decided to intensify the preparation for the 17th regular mixed uh, intergovernmental committee on trade and economic cooperation. Mada Panda is its co-chair on the part of South Africa on the uh, our part is the Minister of Natural Resources and Ecology, Mr. Kozlov. Special attention at this meeting will be paid to the cooperation in energy, science, and technical areas, as well as to the issues of transport and other kinds of infrastructure, the cooperation in the peace exploration of outer space. We have paid today special attention to the need to broaden and develop humanitarian ties there is a demand for that in our countries. Our peoples are very interested in uh, developing contacts. We have agreed to increase uh, the number of uh, scholarships provided to South African colleagues in the framework of the federal budget of Russia. We've talked a lot about relevant international issues. Our countries are subsequent advocates of a more fair, inclusive, democratic, and polycentric architecture of the world order, which would be based on the main principles of the UN Charter, the respect for the sovereign equality of all the states. And we are obviously speaking in favor for the increasing role of uh, the South African Union uh, on all platforms, including in the context of the discussion regarding the reforming of the Security Council. We have uh, discussed our partnership and the UN in its different, different commissions and structures in G20, in the OPCW, in the framework of the Kimberley process. As for G20, we are in favor of the interests of African countries to be represented in this structure as the African Union, in addition to uh, the current members. We have discussed in details our cooperation in the framework of BRICS. We all agree that this structure is an example of a truly multilateral and multipolar diplomacy based on a search for a balance of interests. We share the priorities of South African uh, chairmanship that started on the 1st of uh, January and will take place under the MOTA partnership for rapid growth, sustainable development, and inclusive multipolarity. I would like to wish our colleagues success in the implementation of the outlined plans, and of course, we will facilitate their putting into practice. We have exchanged notes regarding the settlement of the existing conflicts on the African continent, including in the Great Lakes region, in the Central African Republic, and South Sudan, in Mali, in the northern part of Mozambique, we have the same opinion. We believe that uh, the Africans are to define for themselves the solutions to these problems on the continent. And we highlight the active role of uh, South Africa and its president uh, in a whole number of crisis situations. And the international community is to support the ways of settlement chosen by African countries themselves. Yes, 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 yes.
including in the framework of the African Union's uh, different sub-regional organizations, Russia will be actively helping to normalize the situation in hotbeds of tension through the consolidation of peacekeeping potential of African countries. We are ready to train them. In our country, we provide equipment to the relevant missions of the African Union and other organizations. We are interested in consolidating our dialogue regarding the development of the partnership between Russia and the African Union, I've already mentioned that, and with other leading sub-regional organizations, including with those where South Africa is an active member. We've also discussed the preparation for the second summit Russia-Africa that will take place at the end of July this year in St. Petersburg. We assume that its results will be based on the work we have already done after the first summit in autumn 2019 in Sochi and will enable our ties to reach new horizons. We hear a big interest on behalf of our African friends to, uh, in making this event successful. Upon the request of my colleagues, we have discussed in detail the course of the special military operation in Ukraine, which is aimed at saving civilians and preventing the creation of direct threats to the Russian security near our border. And that is something that the U.S. and the NATO allies have been doing for years. We appreciate the independent, well-balanced, and considered approach by our South African friends. In general, I believe the talks have been very fruitful, and they have confirmed that in our relations there are good perspectives, and I'm sure that the implementation of the agreement that we have reached today will give a new impetus to the mutually beneficial cooperation between our countries in the whole range of areas. Thank you for the attention. Thank you very much, Excellent. Uh, we will now take questions from the African Broadcasting Corporation. My question is directed to both Minister Pando and uh, Minister Lavrov. The world is looking forward to hear good news in terms of the end to this current conflict or war in Ukraine. Earlier on, Minister Lavrov pointed out that uh, Russia is willing to engage. Uh, are we likely to see the peace process very soon? And if so, in terms of mediation, who will be better placed to assist these two countries to come to the negotiating table? and? to stop the war in Ukraine so that we don't continue to experience or see the loss of lives from both sides. And the last question is in relation to the military exercise. 
in the Indian Ocean next month by both China and Russia and hosted by South Africa. There has been a mixed reaction to that uh, engagement next month with people, some uh, criticizing the move, Minister Pando, uh, to allow that kind of uh, uh, exercise in the midst of uh, all the tension in Ukraine or the war in Ukraine. From your perspective, what is South Africa's reaction? And also to Minister Lavrov, what is your reaction to the criticism that the timing Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.